and welcome to The Lifted Podcast. I'm your host, Helen Denham, and this is a place for us to talk about what we're doing every day to raise our vibration and understand ourselves more deeply as energetic beings and co-creators. Hello, I hope you guys are okay with having a little ASMR rain in the background. We have a beautiful rainy day over here in Los Angeles. I'm in Topanga in the mountains and it's so special when we get these kind of overcast days because you can get all snuggled up and cozy and warm. And uh, I've kind of missed the seasons of New England. So I'm just having a lovely day over here podcasting away. And I hope you enjoy the little pitter patter in the background. Okay, so today we're joined by Chrissy Papetti. Chrissy is a self-mastery mentor, success coach, and public speaker. And she's especially familiar with mind-body transformation, having dealt with chronic pain for many years, which originated when she was a dancer. And in her work, she combines neuro-linguistic programming, emotional freedom technique, EFT, which you guys might know that I love. I love doing EFT. It's made a huge difference in my life and my mental health. Uh, Clinical hypnotherapy, she integrates time techniques and integrative alchemy. Uh, She also brings in her understanding of human design and gene keys, which I really love chatting with her about. And in this episode, we talk about her journey through chronic pain and how she healed herself by essentially rewiring her belief systems. And we also talk about how to define purpose and the power of mindfulness, among many other wonderful things. As always, thank you so much for being here. And if you feel like a friend or family member might benefit from this information, feel free to pass it along. So enjoy this episode. I love you and I'll talk to you on the flip side. So the first question I love to ask people is, how do you like to start your day off? Do you have any morning rituals or routines that you go to before you start your day? Yes. I, it's so funny to think about how much this has changed over the years, but for me, um, one of the things that I do now is I wake up because my brain is still in that sort of theta state. I like to do a to be magnetic deep imagining, which I know you're familiar with. Um, and so I love TBM's work. I do that to kind of prime myself, which is usually followed by journaling to reinforce whatever came up during that reprogramming, uh, basically meditation. And after that, I'll just get ready. And the thing that I've been doing recently that's actually felt really good is physiologically getting in tune. So I will have warm lemon water. And when I'm done with that, I will have, I don't know if you've heard of athletic greens, but it's basically like a whole bunch of minerals and um, digestive enzymes and all this great stuff to just kind of get through my system, like to start off my day. So it's almost like that health insurance to just know that no matter how I eat or how things end up working out in the rest of my busy day, I just sort of prime my body to, to operate well. So I'll do that. And then depending on my morning, it changes day to day. I'll either do a workout or dance or I will jump into work. So. Oh, I love that. That's amazing. Um, for people who aren't familiar with TBM and to be magnetic, it's this awesome program developed by Lacey Phillips, where we do kind of subconscious reprogramming um, is what you call it. So it's like, you know, manifestation in this, you know, ethereal world mixed with neuroscience, which is, which is such a great way to get to know ourselves better. But I love that you do that in the morning too, because I've been trying to, instead of do it at night before sleeping, do it in the morning to just set the day up for like a calm state of mind. So Yes, so cool. Yes. Yeah. 
And I will have already given a little bit of an introduction about who you are and, and what you're working on, but I'd love to hear it from you. Like, what has your journey looked like up until now? Um, can you walk us through your experience? Sure. So, wow. I mean, I grew up in uh, the Northeast, so in New Jersey, in a very loud Italian-American family um, and in like the suburbs. So it was a pretty standard upbringing in that sense. And um, one thing that was just really persistent throughout my whole upbringing was the presence of dance. And so um, I was dancing since I was two. And when I turned um, eight, I was actually diagnosed with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. And I had aching in my... um, wrists and my ankles and I was extremely fatigued and we didn't really know what was going on. And so I spent those next few years just kind of battling that as a young kid, which is really interesting because you don't really know exactly everything that's happening to you, but you're responding to your body. Um, And that was my first sort of experience with realizing how much dance had meant to me because during that time I like couldn't run around with kids like a normal kid and I had to make adaptations in my school day where I couldn't sit on the floor I had to sit in a chair and so I was already feeling a little excluded and yet I would come out of dance classes just like crying and sobbing from pain but would not stop going like I didn't want to give it up I didn't want to let it go and that's when you know the doctor was like no let her keep doing it it's it's probably good for her and so within two years I actually went into remission with my arthritis and continued to dance on and so it just had this really important place in my life and so when it came time to make that big decision of where what to do next at the end of high school I decided to study dance I was like I'm not done with this yet I don't really know what else I would want to do education was really big for me. I was like, I think my plan B, because, you know, I also grew up in an environment where it was like, all right, you can dance, but like, what's your, what's your real plan, you know? And so I was dancing, but I was like, I want to do something with education, be a teacher or something like that. And so I went away to school. I got my bachelor in fine arts and dance. I was on the dance teams. I was like dancing truly 24 seven and about halfway through my college career. Um, I, I'll never forget it. I was in this dance class and I like kicked my leg up to my head and I felt this pop and I was like, Oh, that was probably not a super good thing. And I like walked it off like any good dancer does and just kept going. And that was like that turning point of really having my first hardcore injury as a dancer that really ended up sidelining me pretty badly. And so as you can imagine, it was like this thread that was pulled out of this entire like landscape, you know, I don't know, like scarf of like life that was holding me together because I just never really knew who I was outside of that environment. Um, I grew up doing other things. Don't get me wrong. I was involved in many different volunteer things and I was captain of my field hockey team and I did other things than dance, but it gave me so much purpose and life and meaning that when that was taken away, all of a sudden it was like, I think a better analogy almost is like a card was like pulled out of my house of cards and it all kind of came collapsing down. So because I couldn't control the way my my body was feeling and what was going on there, because I couldn't get like, no one could diagnose the injury properly. Um, They're like, oh, it's a tear. Oh, it's a strain. Oh, it's a, you know, and so everyone was kind of like, you can keep dancing. It's fine. No, you shouldn't keep dancing. And so there was so much weight put on my shoulders to choose between like my lifeline at that point and like taking care of my body and my health. And at that age, you're like, I'm invincible. So of course I'm going to choose my lifeline. And so I danced for those next two years um, really intensely on this injury. But since I couldn't really control what was happening there, it was causing so much pain. 
I was trying to control other things. So I started to like restrict my eating and like overcompensate by exercising in different ways that weren't, um, you know, like hard on my body. Um, so I was swimming a lot and stuff like that. And so I just started to like isolate. I started to deteriorate. Like I was just becoming like a shell of who I was, um, until I finally graduated. And I was like, okay, we need to like, get like get answers i need to figure this out because i was so obsessed with just getting back to the way i was because my life had been so standard and predictable and familiar up until that point that i was like i just need to get rid of this pain so finally i got properly diagnosed i realized that i tore my labrum in my hip which is pretty crappy um because it's basically like what cushions your hip joint and so i like tore it but i also tore it off the bone oh so it was pretty bad. Um, and so finally they were like, you need surgery. I was like, oh my God, it's finally an answer, right? Because all you want in that situation is an answer because everything will be fine. And so I got surgery also in the midst of going to grad school for occupational therapy. And I was like one month post rehab, like five months post rehab, a year post rehab, and my hip pain was just not going away. And finally it was like two years, three years, four years post my surgery and my pain was still not going away. In fact, it was like traveling to different areas of my body. And now I had back issues and I'm like a young 20 year old. And I'm like, what is going on? Like I did all the things, right? I saw all the physical therapists. I did chiropractic work, acupuncture, acupressure, cortisone injections, like other surgery consultations, like everything you could imagine in modern medicine and nothing was helping. So I'll never forget. I had done all gone through this whole healing journey while also simultaneously going to grad school for OT, which is like a a field of study. That's, I say the perfect blend of like medicine, psychology, and education. And it's really like a holistic wellness profession. And so I was learning a lot about my body while simultaneously trying to heal it. And finally I'll, I graduated, I started my first OT job and I'll never forget. I was home one time with my mom and I was just crying because I, my life was just not familiar. I was postponing my life, living my life until I actually healed my body, which wasn't seeming to happen. And so I was like, I need to do something because I can't keep like not living. So in that moment, my mom turns to me and she goes, is there a chance that you could be, you know, like this could all be in your head? And I will never forget. I was like so offended. I was like, how dare you suggest that what's going on in my body is all in my head, you know? Um, she was like, oh, no, I'm just saying, you know, your cousin, you know, had that thing this one time. And I don't know, like maybe it's something like that. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was like, you know what? It couldn't hurt to go talk to someone about what I'm going through, right? I'm obviously going through a very big emotional upheaval. So that was my first time after all of those years of actually sitting down and like acknowledging the mental and emotional stress I was going through. It was always physical, 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 physical. So I went and talked to my therapist and really that was the turning point that I learned like just how much was actually going, like I learned about a mindset and I learned about beliefs and thoughts and the way that they work. Um, I started to learn about like how many things I was holding within me that were playing out around me in my life. And it was the first moment I realized oh my goodness, I am creating the very reality I'm trying so hard to escape, whether or not I have chronic pain, right? And so that realization just like tore my whole world open. I was just like so fascinated with how this was working. I dove deep into understanding the mind-body connection. And that just sort of like sparked this fascination and this interest with like going in that direction with my OT background. 
and the excitement around that and like the newfound sense of purpose around that and also like re- like rewiring my mindset at the time just led to this whole snowball effect where a year later I my chronic pain was non-existent it was totally gone and I just arrived at that moment when I was like whoa I actually like can get through the day without thinking about my pain when I wake up, when I brush my teeth, when I go to bed, when I eat, like everything. I also like was healing my sense of self. So I was like not so consumed about like what I was eating, how much I was eating, like all that stuff that came from college with me started to dissipate. And when I realized I could heal my own pain, I was like, I need to dedicate the rest of my life to helping other people realize just how powerful and influential they are in the reality that they're participating in. And that sort of led me to my spiritual awakening, my physical and social emotional awakening, and just sort of my path to the work I do now. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. That's just amazing. You know, I think it would be so easy to play the victim in that situation because you you are the victim. Like you can't even figure out what's causing you this pain or anything. And then to have you understand that you can take responsibility for your own well-being and start to make those shifts is just really cool. Um, Because women, I think around me a lot, I'm noticing are experiencing a lot of autoimmune issues as well. And like intense chronic pain from that, I just see this pattern. I don't know if you've been seeing the same thing, but women especially have been dealing with this. So I'm curious to know about um, what you started to implement in your mindset changes and like what your thought process started to change into as you started to to realize that you could heal yourself? Like what started to change internally? Yeah, such a good question. I have to be really honest that, and this is so informs the way that I work today and is the fact that at the time, what did it for me is that you can imagine that up until that moment, I tried so many things. And so I was just very much like, skeptical, right? Because you almost like go into a new opportunity for something to work and you're already like, it's not going to work. And guess what? It doesn't work, you know, because you've had that experience. So it's almost that confirmation bias happening out, happening in your life. So what helped me so much during that time was actually understanding the science of like mind, body, physiologically, what was going on, because that gave my mind the buy-in to actually then have things start to shift. Because if you don't have the buy-in for the solution, I don't care how good the solution is. I don't care how research-backed the solution is. It's, it's probably not going to work as effectively as when you understand what's really going on. So at the time, what, I mean, the book that catalyzed this, although there are so many other books since then that, have, that I would recommend, but the book that I had read, thanks to my therapist, was Healing Back Pain by Dr. John Sarno. And Dr. John Sarno is like a pioneer in this like mind-body connection, how it leads to illness like world. (laughs) And so that book was the first time I actually learned about the fact that your mental and emotional repression like often leads to the physical manifestation of what's going on in your body. So when I was learning about the science behind it while simultaneously like being an OT. So I was like doing further study in chronic pain from an OT lens and all this stuff. And I started to realize like how chronic pain works in the body and how psychosocial it actually is, which means just, you know, the sociological and psychological factors play so much of a role. I just, I was like in, I was like, oh, like, you know, this is it, this is it. And so that's when I started to actually just really like examine, lay out, like what beliefs am I buying into? What, like what beliefs are literally dictating the way that I'm living my life? And that's when, 
and this is where I believe in like the synchronicity of the universe, I ran into Lacey's work, right? To be magnetic. I started to hear all over the place how beliefs were the, you know, basically the source of your reality. And so it was just a, a matter of like finding the right tools and the right processes from that point. But I can't recommend enough. And where I start with everyone is like educating them on their own self, mm-hmm. on the way that their mind and body works, because then you have so much more to work with um, going forward. Yeah, absolutely. It reminds me the the first book you were mentioning of uh, Joe Dispenza's work a little bit. Have you read? Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's like so he talks good. so much about spontaneous remission and um, just the neural pathways and their connectivity to our to our physical well being. So that's so oh, cool yeah. to hear you talk about it. Um, so, what were some of the beliefs that were coming up? For, do you remember like what belief systems you had in place when you were in your chronic pain, and then like what they were replaced with when you started to work on it? Yeah, yeah, I can um, definitely think back to. I mean, some really huge things were how much of my sense of self-worth was planted in external factors. So of course me having chronic pain, which meant I couldn't dance was like shattering to me because my identity as a dancer and like the fact that I was worthy because I was fit. I looked a certain way. I had like a certain athleticism. And now that like the chronic pain was like threatening that basically that's why it was so much more intense for me than maybe somebody else who maybe had their labral tear who just like didn't have that sort of, you know, makeup. So I started examining the fact that my self image that came from dance was just so detrimental um, to me. Obviously it had like brought me to great heights in a lot of ways, but it also fueled this side that was like, if I'm not this like picture perfect version of this thing, um, I'm not worthy. Mm-hmm. So basically I started to explore, and this is where Lacey's work was just so, so powerful from to be magnetic was just understanding self-worth. And so, um, I don't know if I have like a direct one-to-one correlation with swapped beliefs, but it was really going from like a, um, I'm not worthy unless I'm dancing to like, I am worthy despite the fact that I can't dance right now. Um, and it was also like, I had certain things where it was like, I can't live my life. That was a big one. I can't live my life until my pain goes away. Yeah. I, wow. I didn't realize that like I was choosing that. Like that's like, to me, it felt so real. Like, of course that's real, but it wasn't like, that was a choice that I made, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was another big one where I started to realize like, how can I actually start to live my life despite the fact that I'm still experiencing pain, which no shocker, then all of a sudden my pain started to drip off because this is the thing with pain. When you give it attention, it's going to keep reinforcing itself because it thinks that it's important. So your brain keep sending threat signals because it's like, oh, you keep focusing on your hip. This must be a really important place for me to keep telling you that you need to pay attention to it. And so when I was like then often like exploring my body connection and getting all inspired and now starting to like look into starting my own business and I was listening to podcasts and things started to get really exciting for me um, beyond dance, beyond my day to day. Um, All of a sudden, like the brain was like, oh, I guess this doesn't really matter that much anymore, you know, because I didn't actually have a problem there. So it just started to dissipate. And that's what the mind body connection does is it's so self-reinforcing. So I started to like dismantle all of that. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. It's almost like, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's almost like you having this chronic pain gave you permission to not dance anymore. And then you took on this new identity of somebody who experienced chronic pain. I've just noticed Mm -hmm. that with people, like I had this 
I have this great close family friend who has chronic back pain, but, and it's become his identity completely. Like everything that ever goes wrong is related to his back pain. It's like, it's just completely unravels from there. Um, so it's like an existential crisis. Like, you don't, who are you without your dance or without your pain? Exactly. And you know, to be honest, and this might fill in some gaps, like if we're going to go back to when I got injured, it's so funny because I couldn't see this until years later, obviously. But when I look back, I realized that because of those beliefs around my identity as a dancer, I was heading down a little bit of a slippery slope before I got injured. So like kind of, I would say six months prior to my injury, I started kind of that whole, oh, well, maybe I should like exercise more just to make sure that I'm more in shape. Cause I, I did the whole like gain weight when you're a freshman at college thing. So all of a sudden that was kind of the catalyst to be like, Oh my God, like this is such a threat to my system because if I don't look the way that I think I need to look right. So because of that, I started to have those like really rigid beliefs and outlooks on how I needed to look, what I needed to eat, how I needed to work out. And that so it's like self-absorption and that whole situation and how toxic and fear-based it was put me in this like immunocompromised, weakened state so that my injury could actually take place. Cause I was actually really strong, like leading up till then. Um, and so I see that injury almost as like God, the universe's intervention to say, you are not, you are not about to do this because I was like, really like lost weight that I did not have to lose at that point. My friends were getting a little concerned of just being like, Hey, you good. Like I had come home and my mom was like, you look thinner. Um, and so I was heading down that route and I was, and so I think that that was like the beautiful intervention of just saying like, no, we're going to reroute you because this isn't who you are. And you are not just these beliefs around what you need to look like. And that's not actually where your worth lies. So I see this whole experience and I, I didn't go down without a fight. Right. So of course it had to be an injury that led to two years of like making it worse to let, to lead to surgery, to lead to all this, all these more years of chronic pain, because I just was not getting the message mm-hmm. until I went to my therapist and things started to change. Wow. I'm so grateful that you're sharing your story and uh, these intimate details, because I think so many women can relate to this. And I, I can absolutely relate to this. Like same timeline. I was in college. I was a freshman. I gained a little weight. I got scouted for modeling. I was told immediately that I needed to drop like 15 pounds and before fashion week only drink water. Like I got really sick, really thin. I couldn't recognize myself in the mirror as like what my body actually looked like because I thought I looked good or developed so many eating issues. Um, and my dad, you know, intervened with me when I went home for Christmas one year and I just like broke open, but it took like years to, um, you know, rewire my brain to be like, Oh, I'm actually like, okay. It's okay for me to embrace and love my body. It's like, and I got healthier and I thought more beautiful as I started to love my body and feed her well. And like, you know, it's just so crazy what women go through to, uh, to these measures. It's just insane. So I'm glad that you're sharing that because I think women go through this for multiple numbers of reasons, whether it's like finding a partner or like anything, anything. We're just taught that our appearance is everything. So it's all. Yes. Yeah. It's so many, it's so like layered, right? Like generationally and just societally and culturally, it's so, so deep. Yep. And even beyond that, you know, I love that you're working. It seems like you work mostly with women now too. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, I think a lot of people might hold themselves back for other reasons from advancing in their career or launching a big project because they think that they're not good enough yet to be there or they need the approval of somebody. So what's it yeah. been like for you working with um, your clients and what are most people coming to you with? Like what blocks are they facing? Mm, yeah, you're spot on. Um, it's it's so true. We we end up holding ourselves back unknowingly because of these deeper rooted belief structures. And one of the biggest things that people come to me with that it can be dressed up in so many different names and things, but when you boil it down to its root, it's this really deep lack of self-trust, like such a deep lack of self-trust because they've been told they can't trust themselves or they've messed up and there's been a consequence. And so they're like, Ooh, I, I need to now, like you're saying, get permission from other people or get validated, right? That's why we seek it because we don't ultimately trust that we have the answers or that we know better or that we um, can like, make a decision and it's going to be okay. Like there seems like there's so many, so much at stake, I should mm -hmm. say. So like a lot of people come and they've self-sourced their power like externally around them. And whether that's in like me, when I self-sourced my power to all these different medical interventions, I was like, somebody has the answer. It's not me. So let me go find it. Spent all this money, spent all this time and energy when really I had so much power over the situation. So, um, you know, or another example, you know, of clients, I work with a, a bunch of people who are entrepreneurs or coaches or in that space. And they realize that they're, you know, they're not putting themselves out there or that they're not attracting the clientele or that they're actually like sabotaging certain opportunities because they're so afraid to be seen because they don't trust the words that are going to come out of their mouth or they don't trust that they're actually good enough to be at that point yet, you know? And so it comes so hand in hand with self-worth at the end of the day, but I think trust is such a big piece of the puzzle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it seems like the willingness to make mistakes because that's, it's going to yes. happen, right? Yeah. Right. There's not, yeah. we don't grow up with a culture that really like tells you that it, you cannot have innovation without failure, you know, like failure is such an important and should be such a normalized part of our life experience, but we just don't have a system that really supports that way of looking at things and obviously more people and thank, thank goodness for technology in this way where a lot of people have the platform to be speaking out about their, their life experiences to show people that we all fail. We all misstep. We all have the same, you know, same kind of thing going on, but I think still widely, like by and large, it still feels like so consequential to actually take a misstep. Yeah, which is kind of ironic because the people I look up to so much now are the people that openly share their failures because you yep. can relate to it because we all go through it. Nobody gets through this in like one streamlined, you know, situation. So it's yeah. actually really helpful. Um, I also Completely. love that you've mentioned mixing in human design and gene keys into your work. So maybe yes. can you talk to us a little bit about that and, and how that all ties together? Sure. Absolutely. So you can probably tell from a little bit of my story that such an important piece of it was the, ident the identity piece, right? The self-image I held. Um, I think a lot of people are a lot of reasons why me and other people and my clients have that lack of self-trust is because we don't, we're operating um, according to a self-image or an identity that's not our fully expressed selves, right? Because we grow up and we're like, this part of us is bad and this part of us is actually getting validated. So that must be good. And we kind of fracture ourselves into a version of us. And so in my self-awakening journey, um, self-discovery was so important because I was like, okay, who am I then underneath it all? If I'm not just Chrissy the dancer, 
what else is there going on? You know, what are these different pieces? And so human design and the gene keys were such fundamental parts of that. And so I'll talk a little bit about each, um, but they're both systems for self-discovery, for self-awakening, to better understand who you are. Not to say you are this one thing and this one category in this one little box. It's just, if this resonates with you, if you recognize this and you feel that almost relief in your body that yes, that makes so much sense. I understand myself, like why this is happening. That's so self um, or life-giving, you know, to have that sort of permission to just be that. So human design is a system um, founded by Ra Uruhu, and it basically shows you how you're operated and how you're wired to use your energy so that you experience the most flow and the least amount of resistance in your life. So when you relate to other people or you pursue a job opportunity, it really helps you understand how you best make decisions, how you best sort of move through the world. And it's kind of almost like a manual for how you work. And then the gene keys on the other hand is like a sister system where it says, okay, cool. This is how you work that you just discovered in human design. Now let's learn what is almost like the dark and the light side of this design, right? So what does this design look like when it's in its shadow state, that more fear-based victim oriented place? And what does your design or yourself look like when you're in that more elevated, higher sense of self trust-based frequency that you're really here to be in? <laughs> and so um, gene keys gives you like a language for understanding what those patterns are going to look like in your life when you're going to be in what, um, I guess how that shadow and that fear is going to show up for you and, and what it's really trying to lead you to. And so I think they're just such incredible systems for understanding who you are and how you work. Mm -hmm. Okay. So gene keys is tied to human design. So only by like, only in the sense that the founder of the Gene Keys, Richard Rudd, uh, came out of the human design system. So he studied with Ra Uruhu and was like really big and bringing human design to the UK. And after knowing the system so intimately, he then went off and had this experience of also just realizing there's more to the story. And so he embellished on it. And there's actually now what's called integral human design, which is the fusion of gene keys and human design. So there's actually a system that takes both of them and really brings them together. Cool. Oh, I, I'm so new to gene keys. Like I haven't researched it really at all. So that's really interesting yeah. to know. I'll ask, can yeah. I ask you a personal question? I'm a yeah. projector. I don't know if you've worked with many projectors, but projectors have this little um, glitch, I, or I'm working through this personally, where we need to, quote unquote, wait for the invitation to start something. Mm -hmm. um, and that's been complicated because we might come off as pushy or like, especially if we're coaches or like launching online courses, like how do we um, offer ourselves to the world? You know, have you worked with people that have this issue and are projectors and how do you help them? Yeah, totally. So um, surrounded by a good amount of projectors in my life, actually, and I've worked with a bunch um, in my work. And so projectors, um, one of the things that I always tell them when it comes to waiting for the invitation is to not simply just passively wait, which is what it kind of feels like. It feels like you're almost being inactive, where it's more like spend your time creating the opportunities to be invited. So you don't, you can actually, instead of just like inviting yourself or kind of pushing yourself or what you believe onto others, because that's going to be met with that resistance field is what ways can you share about what you're really passionate about with no expectations, no, um, 
agenda and just share more as like the focus, but also then start getting into the environments or in these situations or in the opportunities where you can then be invited because otherwise you may just be frustratingly (laughs) sitting back and being like, where are these invitations at? So it's so important. You're just spending time doing what you love, sharing what you love and what you're really passionate about with the intent to serve and not so much sell Mm -hmm. yourself. And watch the invitations then kind of flow through with with much more ease. Oh, I love that. That's very like relieving to hear too. Yeah. And like making ourselves available instead of pushing ourselves. I love that you said that. That's very helpful. And what's your design? So I'm a manifesting generator. So um, I definitely relate to this one very much so, which is really, you know, having that generator energy to love what you do and apply yourself to your work so wholeheartedly, but also feeling um, sort of this manifestor energy of like, once I do um, find something that really lights me up, I want to act on bringing an idea to life or creating something. And I kind of have both of those energies to play with and the kind of downfall or the challenge with the manifesting generator energy is just that like desire to pivot all the time, feeling like, Ooh, this new idea is pulling me from one way to the next and not feeling like, that sort of channeled focus energy that a generator really can embody. So um, it's definitely led me to have um, many opportunities since being an entrepreneur to check myself and just figure out, okay, where am I actually applying my energy? And then when I decide to apply my energy there to like fully commit and not feel like there's always this like one foot in one foot out, which can be standard of an MG. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's great advice for anybody to just like give it your hundred percent. For sure. And like, I think that comes back to what you were saying about trusting yourself and being in that place of self-worth where you can show up fully and you don't need to be like timid in in approaching a new scenario. Yeah. Do you ever um, work with people who have trouble like identifying what their life purpose is, I guess? And like, what do you think about life purpose in general? And do you think it ebbs and flows and changes or like, how can we wrap our heads around that? Because I think that's something that um, has been kind of ingrained in our minds from a, such a young age that we need to find our purpose and that can be kind of difficult to, to work through. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I have such a paradigm shift around like the way we look at purpose to share. So I used to think very much so, especially with, like I was explaining my background in dance, I was like, dance is my purpose. It's my one purpose. Um, So I used to be very much in that school of thought as a lot of us are. And as I've gone through my own journey and then have further studied all things related to identity, purpose, mind, body, I've come to learn what purpose I believe is really about. And that is when we create a goal or we commit ourselves to really anything in our lives why are we, why are we doing that? Like what, what is really the purpose, right? So if my goal is like, I want to write a book. Sure. I might say the purpose of that could be to, or the reason I want to do that is because I want to impact people's lives, right? Like that might be a a really big motivating factor, but, but why, like, why do you want to impact people's lives? And it's ultimately to experience an emotional state. Mm. Every goal and like thing that we do and we set out to do is because we're seeking an emotional state to experience. And when I started to realize that, I started to understand that it's not so much about what you're doing or you know what that one purpose like realm is, and it's more so how you are wanting to feel. And so I think that 
purpose is what emotional state or states that you're ultimately seeking and then what things actually help you do that. Because for some people, it might be being a mom. Like being a mom helps me reach my purpose state that I want to experience. Um, it could be, you know, bringing an online platform of education to life, you know, or it can be like, uh, you know, creating beautiful art because it's, it's just finding almost like vehicles, I should say. I think our vehicles will change all over the course of our lives because we're going to continue to evolve. So our vehicles for purpose will be different, but it's ultimately what at this point in your life or yeah, in your journey is going to bring you to the emotional state that you desire to experience. Wow. Okay. I'm having all these like light bulb moments and I'm trying not to literally clap. I've never heard somebody <laughs> um, say it like that, like that we're just trying to really reach an emotional state. And then it becomes like, just enjoying life and like being happy to be alive um, if we can reach that vibrational state. And you know, it kind of reminds me of all this narrative around the law of attraction and, and any spiritual teaching is really trying to get us to raise our vibration to be it before we receive it because we just start to attract those experiences that match our highest frequency and our highest vibration. So, yes. so brilliant. Um, so what do you do to keep your vibration high, like what practices um, do you go to to make sure that you're feeling good? Yeah. So I am, you know, big on the subconscious work. I really do think it's super important. And I think that in order to just release so much of the stuff that you grew up taking on that isn't yours, it's, it should be a lifelong practice to examine what you're holding on to. So in terms of, you know, not to go back to this again, but I do think to be magnetics work is really influential. And that's a big part of the practice of what I do. Cause I love the way that they have structured it and the fact that it is so connected to neuroscience. So mm-hmm. rewiring my subconscious beliefs on a regular basis. Um, but also for me, my one of my purpose states is aliveness which is so interesting right because we're all alive but i think to feel alive it's is its own sort of thing and and it doesn't even matter if that it makes sense it makes sense to me right and that's the other thing about emotional states like you're i don't know me and you could be seeking seeking the same thing but i call it aliveness and you call it excitement you know mm-hmm. um but i really love to feel like alive I, I feel like my cells vibrate like i just feel like so so good and so in order to keep that attained one of my purpose vehicles is dance like now that i've healed my pain i have re-entered and my relationship with dance so beautifully in a whole new way because now its purpose is just to bring me that joy and that sense of aliveness as opposed to feeling like a job a duty like a life or death thing that i have to be a part of or or else you know because i know that that's not all of who i am so Dance has played such a huge role in my day-to-day life as something that just keeps my vibe really, really high. And with that, music is so important to me. I mean, I don't know about you, but I can throw on a song and it literally changes my state Mm -hmm. like instantly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I'm really big about like taking the like the breaks throughout the day to just experience loved music, maybe dance around a little bit, have those kind of movement breaks because we are wired to move. We are wired to express. And those are just ways that I like to personally keep my vibration high. (laughs) That's so good. And it's, it's a really beautiful full circle moment for you that you came back to dance and it just took all of this healing. And like, now it's, it's your happy place again. That's so beautiful. 
And yeah, I mean, absolutely music and dance. And I, I was talking to Freya Haley, who I had on recently about dance and how it's almost a form of like shamanic shaking and how you're shaking your body and that mind body connection of releasing those cells and like releasing endorphins, like changes your physiology and your mental state, like long-term, oh the yeah. more that we do this. So encouraging oh, yeah. everybody to dance out there. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, It feels so good. And for people it who does. dance a lot, like, I mean, I've just been doing little dance videos and jumping around, but it's like, it, it's like it allowing yourself to be kind of goofy for those of us who like aren't formally trained, but to just like be kind of like a child again. It's really, it's oh, really yeah. sweet. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, totally. I think we all, I mean, if you look at babies, like if, if music comes on, they just like move their body to the beat. You know, it's, it's like, we all have that within us, that connection to self-expression via movement and yeah, I, I like recommend anyone, whether you're a quote unquote dancer or not, I think we all are. And um, just recognizing like, like you were saying, the healing active movement. And that's what I think is also a paradigm shift that needs to happen around like moving your body. Whereas we have a culture that's like exercise, working out, how many calories did you burn? Mm-hmm. And to me, since my whole injury situation where I couldn't move, when I re-entered back into being able to move again, I was like, I don't, I don't want to do this stuff that makes me feel like I'm like dying every time I do it. I want to like move. Yes. In a way that gets my cardiovascular system going, but like that feels really good at the same time. And so I just think that if we looked at movement that way, so many people wouldn't be like, Oh, I don't have time for it today. It would be like, Oh my God, I need to do this today. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So good. Human design. I think I haven't gotten too far into this, but it can also give you suggestion for what uh, exercise might be good for you. As projectors, I think even like long walks could be really good. Like I, that's what I usually do. I just take long walks or hikes or yeah. even Tai Chi. Like I'm definitely someone who needs gentle movement, but that still builds strength. So yeah, it's yes. nice to look into that. And, and like you said, it just helps us unravel and get to know ourselves better. Um, almost like astrology yeah. does. Yeah. Yeah. And you're actually making me quickly like think of something where just to like reinforce the point, um, when I was in college and going through that whole like breakdown with my, my hip and everything, um, I was in such a, as you can imagine, like stressed out, like my nervous system was in overdrive and high alert all the time because I was not only like on the move every five seconds, but I was also going through this mental and emotional turmoil with my identity. And yet I never really felt anxiety. Like I never had problems going to sleep. Like I didn't have that sort of experience of depression, despite how hard things were and how much I was putting myself through because I was moving my body all the time, which I see now in hindsight was like releasing so much of that pent up energy in your nervous system when you're kind of in go, 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 like fight or flight mode. And so it's super interesting because contrasted when I then had second half of my chronic pain journey after my surgery and I couldn't move so much and I was still going through the same mental turmoil just differently. I all of a sudden like had to pull over to the side of the road because of like a panic attack. And all of a sudden I'm having like anxiety attacks and I'm feeling so depressive. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, why is this coming out of the blue? And I thought things were getting worse. But if you really look at the both of those periods, I was in the same state, but movement was actually present in my mm. life, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No healing. <laughs> yeah, that's so good to touch on. Well, Chrissy, I mean, I'm so grateful for our conversation today. I've learned so much from you. And is there anything else you want to touch on before we part ways? 
I mean, it, this has been such a, I love how diverse the conversation has been. So no, I mean, I feel like it's been such a wonderful one and um, just hoping, you know, people walk away feeling inspired to, to move, to understand their identity on a deeper level and to just trust how powerful they are in their mind-body connection. Yes, absolutely. And then where can people find you if they want to work with you and, and find you on socials? Yeah, I so recommend anyone connecting with me in general. I, I love to kind of talk about any of this stuff with people who are interested. So you can find me at chrissypapetti.com, just my name.com. And my handle is also chrissypapetti on Instagram. So very easy to find me either at my site or on Instagram, usually first and foremost. And a YouTube channel is coming up in the works. So that'll be soon if you want to kind of plug away and find me there as well <laughs> awesome and i'll put that in the description too but thank you so awesome. much for being here it was really just so fun to talk with you all right thank you so much for joining us today i hope you learned something new and as always we'd love to connect with you so feel free again to reach chrissy on instagram at chrissy papetti and i'm at helen denham underscore and my website's HelenDenham.com, where you can find links to past podcast episodes and my music and blog posts, which go up every week or every other week and all the good stuff. You can even subscribe to my Self-Care Sunday newsletter, which is a fun little segment I do every week, if that feels good for you. And yeah, if there's any guest as well that you have in mind that you'd love to hear on the podcast, let me know. I'm always so curious to know who you guys are inspired by and what you're into right now. So enjoy the rest of your day wherever you are or your evening, and I will talk to you soon. Bye. Oh, 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 oh,